Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading today is Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 15. Before I read, let's pray together. Father, we long to know you better today. We want to love you more, delight in you more. So help us now by your spirit as we come to your word. Open our eyes that we might see and believe. Amen. So Ephesians 1 verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. One of the very first books I can remember reading as a young Christian was a book written by the Christian author Don Carson, And I will never forget the very first line of that book. He asks, what is the most urgent need in the church of the Western world today? I wonder what we'd say. What is the most urgent need facing the Fullwood Church family? There are lots of good answers. Perhaps we need protection from all the threats that come from living in this broken world, whether physical or emotional. Perhaps we need greater purity as a church family, or a greater heart for the lost world around us, or a greater love for each other, or greater generosity with with our possessions, or a greener footprint, or better Bible knowledge. All of these needs are important, urgent, but what is the most urgent need of all facing the church today? The answer Carson gives in his book is summed up in the glorious prayer before us today. Look at verse 17. Paul writes, I keep asking 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We urgently need to know God better. That's the heartbeat of this prayer. If we're new to Christian things, then I hope we'll see that the heart of being a Christian is is not about obedience or a set of rules, but rather joy in a personal growing relationship with the one true God. But for those of us who are Christians, the surprise today is that Paul is praying for people who already know God. We saw last week that these Ephesian Christians have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Uh, They've been chosen and redeemed and forgiven, brought into God's great plan for the world to bring all things together under Christ. They are in Christ. They've been joined to Christ. They already know God. And because of this, Paul begins his prayer by giving thanks. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The faith and the love of these Ephesians are clear signs to Paul that they are Christian, that they have received every spiritual blessing, that they really do know God. But Paul isn't finished praying. Verse 17 again, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You see, for Paul, people who already know God urgently need to know God better. I first met the woman who is now my wife 16 years ago this very month in the kitchen of a fruit farm. We were on a church weekend away for our leadership team and I had been told a new leader was going to join us. I was told where she had come from and and why she had moved. I was even told her name, Lorna. And so you, you could say I knew about Lorna. But in that moment, across the kitchen in the fruit farm, I went from knowing about Lorna to beginning to actually know Lorna. That first conversation went extremely well, or so I thought. Sadly, Lorna didn't agree. I I don't think she spoke to me again for a whole year. (laughs) But over the next few years, we got to know each other better as friends, and then as a couple, and then as a married couple. And of course, as any married couple will know, there's always more you can know about your spouse. The best marriages are ones of of growing, deepening, relational 
knowledge of one another. And that's the sense here. Paul is thrilled to bits that these Ephesians do know God, but he wants them to know God even better as an urgent, pressing need. Now, we need to be careful here because many of us love knowledge. If we're a student, we work hard at our studies. If we're a parent, perhaps we encourage our children to work hard at their studies. My guess is many of us love to read books and to engage with debates. Perhaps we like to become experts in gardening or computer programming or global politics. Perhaps we pride ourselves in having a a well thought through opinion. And there's nothing wrong in this. Having knowledge can be a very good thing. But our love of knowledge creates a particular danger for us. That we make knowing God just another quest for knowledge. Jim Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, puts the danger this way. And I quote, We read books of theological exposition that we dip into Christian history and study the Christian creeds. Others appreciate our interest in these things. We find ourselves asked to give our opinion in public or lead study groups. Our friends tell us how much they value our contribution. And yet all the time, we may hardly know God at all. There is a huge difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. And here Paul's praying that the Ephesian Christians wouldn't simply know the facts and figures about God, but that they would actually know God better. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now this is a slightly odd idea. Obviously we have physical eyes in our heads, but but here Paul says that we also have eyes in our hearts. Our hearts are the control room of our lives. They are the place where we make our decisions where our emotions and our feelings and our attitudes flow out from. When a friend is late for our coffee, when the results come from the doctor, or when we lie awake at night unable to sleep, at all these moments, how we respond, the instinctive reactions we display, they come from our hearts. And at this deepest level of of who we are, Paul is praying that we might know God better, not in a way that bypasses knowledge. No, it's as we come to the wisdom and revelation of the scriptures that we come to know God. But, But Paul is praying that we wouldn't simply know more about God, but that we would actually know God better, that our 
love and devotion and wonder would be a deep, real and personal reality within our hearts. One of the best things about hanging out with someone who has just become a Christian is that they are so full of joy at this newfound relationship with the Lord. But if we've been a Christian for a while, it is easy to lose the wonder, the the sense of privilege or the sense of anticipation that there is more to know of God than we currently know. Well, I wonder if, if that is true of us, if we've lost our urgency to know God better. Well, I think what Paul prays next will be a huge help to us. Paul's headline concern is that the Ephesian Christians would know God better. But then he goes on to pray for greater knowledge in three crucial areas. First, in the area of the hope that God brings. Look at verse 18 again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. It's very hard to live without hope, whether it is the hope of a day off after a busy week or the hope of a coffee with a friend after a lonely week or the hope of better health after being unwell, our hearts naturally scan around for things to hope in. I know when my life gets busy, I can easily get sucked into searching for the next holiday. What about the Apostle Paul? Remember, he is writing from prison. What does he see as he looks around? Four walls, a locked door, perhaps chains around his wrists and ankles. With his physical eyes, a desperate scene. It would be easy to imagine Paul's heart slipping into despair. But imagine God opening Paul's heart eyes so he can see beyond the prison cell and the chains, so that he can see God's unbreakable promise that that one day Paul will receive a wonderful inheritance when Jesus returns and takes away all the tears and trials of this broken world. Imagine that hope sinking deep into Paul's heart so that even in the chains, he has an unshakable joy. This pandemic has snatched away many of the things our hearts tend to hope in. But here is an offer of hope that can never be snatched away. To know God better, to increasingly know the hope he brings, well, it's an urgent need we all have. Next, Paul prays for the heart God has. As verse 18 continues, Paul prays the Ephesians would also know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I I wonder if we realize that 
that God is looking forward to an inheritance. This is not a, a new thought to Paul. In the Old Testament, God's people are often described as God's portion or, or God's inheritance. And here, Paul is saying that when God looks at the Ephesian Christians, God is seeing his inheritance. Or if I can put it this way, as God looks forward to eternity in the future, he is looking forward to that day when we, his people, stand before him in his presence in the new creation as his inheritance So imagine the Ephesian Christians in Ephesus, small and insignificant, a tiny minority in the city dominated by the worship of the goddess Artemis. It would have been easy to wonder if God had forgotten them, but he hasn't. They are his glorious inheritance. I was speaking to someone just this week who described how they felt like they have been pushed to the edge of society over these last few months. But with all the various social distancing restrictions, they're spending hours at home on their own, they feel faceless and forgotten. Even harder when other people, perhaps those who are younger, are out and about enjoying life and being known and seen by others. But God does not forget his people. His heart is bursting for that day when he receives us as his inheritance. To know God better, to know the heart God has, well, it is an urgent need we all have. Well, finally, we see the help God gives. At school, I I took part in various Duke of Edinburgh expeditions. In in case you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, basically a a teacher would drop you off at some windy, rain-soaked lay-by high up in a mountain pass. Uh, They would check you have all the right gear, tent, a stove, a compass, a map. They would wish you all the best. They would reassure you that they will be there that evening at the campsite some 15 miles away, and then they would drive off and leave you to it. At times, it can feel like that's how God treats us. He gives us these great promises for the end of the journey, this great hope of how we are his inheritance. But in the meantime, it can feel like he's just left us to it, especially when all we can see with our eyes is is trouble and hardship. Well, look at how Paul continues to pray. Paul wants our heart eyes opened so that we can know, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. This power is made available to us now to help us Keep going now until our hope becomes a reality. Verse 20, this power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. More than that, look at verse 21. Jesus is now seated far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is some power. Nothing can overcome it. But Paul is not finished yet. Verse 22. Sorry, verse 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. During this pandemic, it's been striking to see how little urgency there's been to allow churches to reopen. Uh, The government has worked hard to restart football games and open up bars and restaurants and coffee shops long before they allowed churches to reopen. In the eyes of the world, the church looks like a sideshow. And for those of us who care about the church, not the building, but the people, this can be incredibly disheartening. Well, here in verse 22, what a breathtaking insight into where the church fits into God's plan for the world. Christ has been raised from death to life, to the place of ultimate authority over everything. And Jesus is using that authority for the church. Our government may not give much heed to the church, but the risen and exalted Lord Jesus does. The church is his body. He has a special concern for it. And so when the church feels small, when we wonder how it will survive in such a hostile world, when we hear about numbers declining and people drifting away, we need our heart eyes to be opened so that we know the help God gives. We have the power of the risen and exalted Lord Jesus made available to us, protecting us and advancing his people, the church. What is the most urgent need facing the church today? Well, here in Ephesians 1, surely Paul would say to us that our most urgent need is to know God better, to know the hope he brings, the the heart he has, and the help he gives. As I finish, I wonder how our prayers compares to, to Paul's prayers. As we go through Ephesians, we'll see that we are in a spiritual battle, and so often the battle takes place at the level of our understanding. Later on in chapter four, Paul says, on our own, we are like infants being tossed back and forth by mighty winds and waves, being deceived by cunning but false teaching about God. Later on in chapter four, Paul will show us that what we believe about God has a huge impact on how we live. If we know God as a loving, gracious, and faithful God, we are much less likely to abandon him and run after other pleasures. And so one author, Dane Ortland, puts it 
this way. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that make you go there in the first place. When we realize that the people in our lives that we care about, our housemates, our family, or the friends in our small groups, when we realize that they are in a spiritual battle when it comes to what they know about God, well, I wonder if we might pray a little more like how Paul does here in Ephesians 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can know you, that you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures. Father, please give us a great longing, a great expectation to know you better. Open our eyes that we might truly see. In Jesus' name, amen.